Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 378. We do this live, and you can watch us on Facebook at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, every Friday, like I say. I've got a great panel here. One's walked off already. Don't know why I upset him. Oh, he's coming back. Uh, um, but they're like wandering cats, my listeners and viewers. They come in, they go out, they wander. Um, we've got a great special guest and a friend of the show, Brian Jackson, Chief Marketing Officer of Kinster. Um, Brian, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, Chief Marketing Officer at Kinsta. Um, so right now I'm just helping them. You know, We offer premium managed WordPress hosting. So I pretty much am living and breathing in that world every day. Um, and yeah, happy to be here. I've, I, it's been a while. I know I was on here, oh, it's been, what was it, last year now? Yeah, <laughs> time goes so quick, doesn't it, Brian? Yeah, it does. It does, but you, I classify you as a friend. And Kins is a great sponsor of the show, and it's much appreciated. Um, I've got Spencer. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Glad to be back. Uh, Spencer Foreman from WP Launchify, and we help anybody who's doing membership sites on WordPress, marketing automation in particular, uh, or even e-commerce. And we've got Chris. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Thank you. I'm Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress solution for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses. And I will be joining you later on today, won't I? You want to tell the listeners, or I suppose, is it worth it? It's going to be after it, really. But I'll, I'll be joining Chris tomorrow, the, today, uh, online. Um, and Sally, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Certainly, I'm Sally Getch, the WP fangirl, also the uh, currently not very organized organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup. We are still looking for people to come present at the meetup in 2019. So if you are in the Bay Area uh, and you have a topic that you want to, you know, rehearse for uh, the WordCamp you're applying to or something, please get in touch. It's a great group. Um, before we go into the main stories that I've selected for this week's show, uh, I want to mention one of our other great sponsors, and that's WP Fusion. And why is WP Fusion? Well, in your technology stack, obviously you should have WordPress, but um, you should have a CRM. It is 2019, folks. You've got to hype that marketing up to a higher standard. And if you've got those two bits of technology in your technology stack, you need WP Fusion, especially if you're running a membership course or e-commerce site. And the reason why you need it is it will put your relationship between these two key parts of your marketing system on steroids and you can do all sorts of fabulous stuff which I have not got the time to explain to you in detail but go to the WP Fusion website and they've got a load of videos and and other resources that will explain why this is such a fantastic idea for you to go to their website. And if you buy one of their packages, they have offered us an exclusive deal. If you use the coupon code WP 
Tonic or uppercase, you get 25% of any of their packages. And that's exclusively only offered to you listeners and viewers of the WP Tonic show. So we're going to go into the first story, folks, and that's um, WordPress explores possible for block directory to host single block plugin. What a bloody title. My (laughs) God, Farmers, who bloody bloody wrote that? Uh, um, Sally, what do you think of that one? Uh, Well, I would love to have a directory of individual blocks because what we see happening right now, people are publishing collections of blocks, which are, you know, things that are commonly used. But if you really like the, uh, you know, the post grid from one collection, uh, but you want, uh, you know, the map plugin or the call to action or whatever from the other plugin, you have to install two plugins full of blocks and then try to turn some of them on and some of them off. And uh, being able to just install what you need is good. Now, the, the discussion that seems to be going back and forth is, uh, whether this should be something where you can install them from within the editor or not. Um, and I'm happy to have them just be things that you install like other plugins. I mean, Gutenberg is going to be moving beyond just the editor and, and we have to kind of think about how that's going to work for the widgets and, and menus and things. Um, but I like the idea. Well, that's great. You didn't write that title, Brian, did you? Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> What do you think of it? Um, you know, I actually kind of like the idea too when they first started talking about this just because um, I'll be honest, I I mean, I use Gutenberg on a couple of my small sites, but on my yeah. sites where I'm really writing a lot of content, I'm still using the classic editor, editor just because, I don't know, my workflow, I, it's, you know, it's hard to change. <laughs> I'm probably with a lot of people. Um, so, um, and the blocks is something that I've just been so busy. I haven't been able to keep up with all the new blocks plugins out there that people are launching. And so I actually think having like a central repository where you could find them all and install them is not maybe a bad idea because um, if, if I'm having trouble keeping up with them and are a little confused, I'm sure normal end users are, you know, having trouble saying like, which blocks plugin should I use? Where are they? Um, and I think there are a lot of good ones out there too. Um, I've tried a couple of them, um, but yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. I'm in a strange. I would say ninety nine or nine, yeah, ninety nine percent of my customers we haven't. Um, we're still a classic editor, and they've and we've informed them about the changes in WordPress, but they're just stuck with what they've got. And I've tested it a bit, not to the extent Sally obviously is, um, and using it, um, I am going to have to kind of spend some time doing that um, because obviously, as Sally pointed out, it's going to move away from the actual editor and change the fundamentals of WordPress to some at some future date. What do you reckon, Spencer? I, I think this is a great opportunity to fix a lot of what's wrong with the WordPress repository and then at the same time provide... I kind of use those metaphors, but a standardization kind of, I always talk about USB when marketing automation is concerned. Let me use vending machines as the metaphor. 
Right now, it'd be ridiculous if you went to the ice rink for your kid's skating party or something, and there was a separate vending machine to sell every single one of those products. You know, I want a pack of gum. I want a, a cinnamon roll. I want a popcorn. You need the vending machine so that you can put any kind of thing inside of there. You put your money in and get it. And it makes a lot of sense. And Sally was definitely the one who brought this idea forward of let's make it that this vending machine is really awesome. You can literally have metadata that is useful about each and every block so that somebody could go into one vending machine, find what they want, save it, store it, reuse it instead of the current mess that is the current WordPress repository for plugins. Like if you type a word that you know and it's got a space in it or a hyphen, the plugin doesn't exist or the plugin is delisted because somebody didn't update it in the last five years, even though it works perfectly fine or blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's such a disaster, the WordPress repository, that you should just search Google to find the plugin in the repository. Here's a chance for redemption. One vending machine, put Morton or Sally in charge of it, and just... <laughs> God. Are you sure you're afraid of that? That's not a great job, is it? <laughs> but, That's a but, the, job. but the point is, there's somebody. Maybe this is a good job for... You just said me. Yost. Can you imagine me? Yost can finally redeem himself with this vending machine. He would put it in there. And you know what I think could happen? I think there's a really good chance although I'm a huge fan now of Elementor, I've been converted by their latest actions of just saying, wow, this is a chance for the WordPress community's open source thing to actually have a really parallel competition with something where it really functions well to everybody can make a little popcorn bag or a little pack of gum that goes in there for a specific purpose, but now everybody can actually use it as a system. That's how I envision in my fairytale world this working. I don't know if it'll get there. Yost and his wife he invited me over to Holland for Christmas. <laughs> they haven't. <laughs> Live broadcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, um, Chris, Chris, what did you think of this? I think it's good. And I think we do need a block vending machine. We have a theme vending machine, a plug-in vending machine. I don't think all those things should be combined into one vending machine. And in this article, there's a mock-up on a piece of graph paper that I think looks pretty promising. I think WordPress has proven the model with the plugin repository despite its problems that it's a great way to find free tools for your website it's a great way for businesses to offer value for free and then have you know more advanced private premium plugins or whatever um the part where i'm a little foggy is or where i think there's some trouble brewing is in the in the sketch there's a if you search for a contact block, there's like one that pops up that's built in or that you already have access to. And then there's a directory below. And whatever comes up in those first three positions, how, is that, how does that happen? Who, who gets to decide what comes up first and what is the... We need more transparency around that. You get back, back to that wee business, that, <laughs> that Norwegian guy. So who's the wee? Yeah, well, I'm just saying it's going to be important to make sure that it's really transparent how that kind of sorting and filtering and prioritization in this comes well, up. You, you, must, you must know that will never happen. Well, the other issue that I'm seeing that I just want to point out is there's also going to be a lot of block opportunities out there that are going to have dependencies on plugins. Yeah. So as an example, 
like there's the WooCommerce product block. But in order to use that, if somebody types in product, they're also going to need a plugin for that to work. Um, so how do we deal with all those dependencies? Are we only going to be featuring blocks, free blocks that are completely just one trick ponies that aren't dependent on another tool? So that's where it starts to get really messy in my mind. But overall, this whole concept of a block directory is a direction we need to head into. We just need to be careful about fairness and making sure that the free and the premium players and all the dependencies get managed well. They can do that thing which pops up where like it gives you a notice that like if you selected this block, you need that or whatever. I was thinking the same thing about the order, but why not just make it agnostic so there's no featured three at the top? It's just you do a search and it just comes up with a filter that, you know, here's by alphabet, by lowest price, by, you know, popularity. Well, like Amazon does, like if you search for products, you know, you can filter it. And then, but uh, they totally put their sponsored stuff at the top. Well, you know, it's going to end up being like Google AdWords or something. It's going to just end up being like the top six spots are all going to be Jetpack, 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 and who pay automatic. But that shouldn't be the way it should be. I, it should just I don't. Be, I don't know. Not if yeah. not if Jetpack uh, does so many things at once. Right. <laughs> it's all in one. Sl- Do I also. Thing. I also want to add, just as a uh, as a regular user. I think we just need to make it easy in the same way that the app store is easy. There are free apps and there's paid apps and it's really simple for the end user. So we need to like take this model that kind of already works in some other ecosystems and just streamline the user experience so that right. WordPress is easier to use. Yeah, it's been, that, that, that's been ongoing debate, isn't it? Um, and a frustrating one. I don't know. Um, but you never know. It might change, won't it? Words of wisdom might Bevel. On to the next story. Um, Mike, Mike Wixton, for the first time, big tech faces credible threat of breakup. What did you think of this one, Brian? So, yeah, I was reading this earlier. I don't follow politics a lot on purpose. I just feel like I'm better not following it. Um, and <laughs> You're not going to dive into the cesspool of America? Yeah, so I feel like there's, yeah. uh, I've dived straight in. I have. uh, For me, yeah, I just, yeah. A lot of stuff that, you know, they talk about never happens. So it's kind of, um, yeah, until something actually gets close to happening, I I don't know if it's just, you know, a waste of time to even dwell on it that much. Um, This is actually one that I hadn't read about before. So it was actually interesting to read through it. Um, And... Yeah, breaking up the big companies because they're monopolies. Um, I honestly don't ever see that happening. Uh, but if it does, I mean, it will be the biggest thing that's like literally ever happened to, I mean, these industries. Um, like it, I, it was using an example of like, you know, Google, they power search already and then they, but they would not be allowed to run, I think, Google um, AdWords or something. So they can't do like have both monopolies on both things. Um I, yeah, I, I don't ever see that happening <laughs> to be honest, but if it does, I don't, I don't know if it's such a bad thing um, because um, I guess you would have new companies popping up to take some of these other spots. Um, but also as a marketer, I'm thinking of like my workflow too. I sometimes don't mind that there are these monopolies. I know that might sound horrible to some people, but if I'm having to bounce around between even more tools, that's just a nightmare for me. So I don't, 
you know, sometimes monopolies for marketers are, are good because we can bounce around and do things all at the same time. Like Facebook, you know, I can go and, you know, share stuff in Facebook groups. I can go share stuff on our Facebook page and I can run ads on some of our stuff. Like it's all actually fairly easy for me to do. Um, if Facebook was to get rid of their ad platform, obviously I'd probably be end up going to whatever app platform that is to do the stuff I was doing there. So I don't know. I, I don't see this happening, but I feel like it'd be end up being more work for me. So I, I don't think I'd actually want it to happen. Yeah. I can answer before I pass it over to the other panelists. Um, I can, I can see where you're coming from. I think like the idea that you could break, you could break up Google, but could you break up Google dominance of search? Probably not. That that fight is done and over with. Who should own um, Google search is a different question, and how and who its owners and its real purpose. That that's uh, a probably a worthwhile debate. Um, Facebook, well, you know, um, it's a social media platform. They're probably in the future. They're going to be other ones. Um, even though I consider them kind of semi-cockroaches. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not so, I'm not so disturbed by them. Um, when it comes to Amazon, oh, well, God, you know, they should be broken up tomorrow. Uh, um, what do you reckon, Spencer? First of all, I would definitely be sad if you tried to break up Amazon because I need my 15-minute delivery of something all day long. And I mean that sincerely. I will say I was watching a movie... Uh, American Gangster uh, with Denzel Washington and uh, Russell Crowe. It's an older movie, but the whole point of it was it was about the 1970s heroin trade in New York City and blah, blah, blah. The point or the lesson that carries over from this is that you are never, as a politician, ever, ever going to succeed in today's climate in universally or unilaterally breaking up any monopoly. So whether you want to say Elizabeth Warren has signed her own political death warrant or not, that's essentially the result of this whole... What about Teddy Roosevelt? Uh, I think he was quite successful in breaking up bloody monopolies, wasn't he? Different. I'm going to tell you what the difference is. If you, if you are a student of his... If, I don't know how Skype managed to break through my, uh, my notice off. If you are a student of history and you look at how the early monopoly busters worked, they didn't work at it from being a sole politician working with the public support. They worked at it from backdoor deals with whom? The other larger monopolists. In other words, you get two monopolists, they will kill the third monopolist. The whole point of this movie that I was watching was the way that this guy ultimately goes down is that the other you know, mobsters kind of collaborate to get rid of him in cooperation with the police. That's the situation here is that you're never going to get Apple or Google or Amazon to go down on their own unless Google and Apple team up to kill Amazon or Amazon and Apple team up to kill Google. There's no politician that is powerful enough because as the article rightly points out, they're all just proxy representatives in all these other countries and they sit in their protected bubble in Silicon Valley. Thank you, Sally. You have to emphasize the con, you understand, because there's so much of it going on. Right. And there's nobody that is going to touch them. Even Gavin Newsom, who has some controversial politics of his own in California, is not stupid enough to say, well, we'll hold these guys, come and get them. You know, 
it's just never going to happen. So the whole conversation is sort of silly because at the end of the day, the infrastructure and everything else that everybody, especially the politicians, rely upon cannot be just taken away. It has to be replaced by one of the other monopolists' systems. That's it. Yeah, but Spencer, can't you see Jeff Bezos in a, in a James Bond film? You know, he's, he's the head of Spectre. All he needs is a white hat, and he's trying to get people up in space. It's something out of a James Bond movie, isn't it? <laughs> the best James Bond movie. From, what was the name of the movie? It was it was one of the Daniel Craig movies, or maybe one of the last ones, where the guy on the inside of MI5 was the dirty guy who tried to turn all the MI5 bad. And that's the the scenario here: is that if you're really going to change this, it has to be an inside job. The rest of us are too far down the road. The only redeeming thing I can think of, which is just too far fetched at this point, is that. There was a time when there were companies like Nokia or uh, BlackBerry Rim who owned the whole market. And then poof, they were gone overnight because if suddenly we have holographic internet stuff, right, or it's an a eyeglass piece and we don't need the infrastructure these guys have anymore, that's a way they could go away too. But, you know, so far that's a little well, far I think there's quite think, a few. Go on. Oh, I think what Spencer said earlier too is important about how he likes Amazon. I think we as consumers like monopolies, even though we might not ever say that online or we complain online about Google privacy sure. and all that stuff. But I think everyone likes monopolies because it makes our lives easier. I, for one, too, like Amazon, I would not want them going anywhere. They make my life really easy. I don't have to leave my apartment if I don't want to. <laughs> you know, you, so you, it's. Oh, you like Spencer. You like Spencer. Yeah. You never, you never leave your place, do you? Yeah. I mean, Amazon gives me that option now. And yeah, I can have something like here the same day if I need it. So it's, I think consumers deep down really actually like monopolies existing. So I, yeah. I, I just wanted to mention that. Well, that would explain why America tends toward them. I mean, if you look at like, okay, so they broke up Standard Oil in what, like 1911? And they broke up Ma Bell in 1982. And what happens? Uh, you get an initial sort of splintering and division, and then you get progressive consolidation. And where do we end up? Back at pretty much a monopoly. I mean, it's, it's like big oil has consolidated to the point where there's like three oil companies in the world. Um, and, you know, that the, there are not, and we still have effective monopolies on a lot of things. It's like, I don't have a choice of cable internet providers. Not really. It's basically, you know, if I want cable, it's Comcast. If I want DSL, it's AT&T. Uh, and since they couldn't give me a, a decent landline, I was darn well not going to uh, attempt to get my internet through them. Um, you know, we don't have real competition in most things, which is why we overpay for a lot of stuff. Right. And, you know, sometimes it's good because the monopoly is running away where consumers mostly notice the benefits. And sometimes we mostly notice the problems. Uh, <clears throat> But it does seem that, you know, we we could try to break these things up and then, you know, within the next 10 years, we would just end up with pretty much where we started, which is why I put that Bloom County cartoon into uh, the the slack about, you know, um, <clears throat> Ma Bell reemerging as, as uh, AT&T, which uh, Brian is probably too young to remember. Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to just let the um, the voice of reason, um, Chris, have the final say. Is it is Jeff Banzo Bond villain or enabler of people never to leave their homes? He's not evil. Uh, he's just a reflection of human nature. Well, can't and you pop- see it with a white cat and a and a diamond tooth? <laughs> And he wants to put fins up into space. What more evidence do you need? He's well, a- Elon Musk wants to put things in space too. Yeah, yeah he's rocket man now, isn't he? Uh, Rob, what do you reckon, Chris? Sorry, I interrupted. Pol- politicians are marketers. And if we've learned one thing from the last uh, presidential election is that the popular marketing strategy these days for politicians is to have an enemy or lots of enemies, whether that's the swamp that's Congress, the Mexicans, the the list goes on. But if um, Elizabeth Gilbert here, it's in some ways it's a little disappointing to me coming from the Democratic Party that we're going to make some of the most successful companies in our country the enemy. I think what we need right now is a leader who instead of pointing the finger, more holds up a mirror and catalyzes the people around more of a grassroots mobilization, kind of like a how Barack Obama went after like the change thing, but somebody who can do it with more effectiveness and uh, results post-election. I don't think that Facebook, Amazon, and Google are evil. I think entrepreneurship and the free market can still disrupt companies like these, uh, even though they are massive. But, you know, there is a place for government to, you know, regulate runaway like market dominance where there's an unfair advantage. But I'm not sure we're actually to that point yet, despite the scale and size of the success of these companies. Yeah, I I can see where you're coming from. We're going to go for our break, folks. We just had the voice of reason. And we'll be back with some more discussion where where I'm going to be very unreasonable. So we'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. Steve Jeff Bozo and his rocket man and his whatever he's up to. Oh, mind boggles. Uh, um, on to the next story. Um, oh, that, that is from our guest, Brian Jackson. I read this and I thought it was a great article. So I asked Brian if you'd come on and have a chat with us. My five biggest failures as a marketer, entrepreneur, cost me 15 years. He's only a young man. <laughs> no, I've failed consistently and I'm an old man. But there we go. Uh, uh, Brian, why did, what was, why did you write this and what was the main thing that you wanted to get across with this article? I'll just point out, I did start early. I started early. In your nappies, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wrote that mainly because I think um, just living in the marketing world every day, like there's so much bad stuff on the internet as far as like people thinking everything's just an overnight success. Um, because lots of the people that you see doing really well online right now, um, 
you know, they've, they've done the grind. They've done the 10 to 15 years of failures of figuring how things work. The thing is, a lot of them don't share about that stuff, um, which I think is the more important stuff to share about. Um, they share about, you know, how they're, they're already at the point of like, you know, they're trying to sell their workflow or their, you know, their product or stuff like that. Um, and then they just appear super successful. Um, and I've chatted with a lot of people there um, that are just, you know, frustrated you know, they're working from home trying to do online marketing, um, trying to do SEO, you know, and they're frustrated that it's not going faster. Um, and, you know, my advice is always that um, lots of successful companies and people doing marketing, like it, it takes a lot of time to figure out how to be successful. Um, there are, I think, sometimes, you know, overnight successes that just people get lucky and they find the right niche or they find, you know, the right audience. Um, but most of the time people have had to do the grind of, you know, of just failing multiple times. Um, and, you know, if I look back at, you know, the article I wrote, you know, I think a, a guy left a good comment actually saying these aren't failures at all. And I actually agree with him. Like I had to go through all this stuff to learn what I'm doing now. And so I wouldn't go back and probably change any of it because all the failures taught me something about, marketing or, you know, how, how to market on the internet, um, or how to make money online. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, the point of the article was just, um, overnight success is not always a thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of was just sick and was on a rant one night <laughs> because I kept seeing people just thinking things should go faster and it doesn't always go faster. So. What did you think in the article, Spencer? Uh, I like the article a lot. I don't know how, Brian, are you, are you able to tell, how old are you? I'm, yeah, I'm 33. Okay, so first uh, of all, it was a great article. Again, well, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate to that. It was a great article because it's obviously truthful and from the heart and explains a lot about your situations. But one of the things I'm going to relate it to is that I appreciate articles like this, but I also want to, hold on, let me put on my old man cap for a second. I'm 52. <laughs> and a single dad of three kids, and gone through a lot of things. I think that somebody in my age bracket with my, let's say, history behind me is able to look at the things that happen in the business world, in the online entrepreneurial world differently than people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, as well as people with different statuses in life, single people versus people with kids versus people with physical things they've had to overcome, emotional things, etc. The point of the story is that I like articles like this because if I could time travel back to that picture of myself as 25-year-old, you know, spitting vinegar and like, bam, 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 you know, it's me, 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 and I'm getting up there. And I had my shares of successes, but like any good entrepreneur, I've had my peaks and my valleys, dramatic shifts, personally, professionally, financially, and otherwise. And the one consistent thing I can say as a 52-year-old that is what I would tell my kids, I have three boys, I tell anybody who's an entrepreneur is... I appreciate anybody who is a 20 or 30-year-old who's doing the, the drive, even a 40-something-year-old. Keep asking yourself, why am I doing this? Because the one thing I know as a 50-plus-year-old, and any 50-plus-year-old will say the same thing, is that looking back on the journey, I realize happiness, satisfaction, what you're doing with the rest of your life is much different looking at this age than when you're in the middle of that uphill climb. And regardless of where your successes are, whether you're a multimillionaire or whether you've just failed for the 20 millionth time, 
that whole journey of going from A to B, asking yourself, why am I doing that, is the only thing that matters because there's going to be so many course corrections and so many things that whatever, it will make you nuts. Even when you get the wins, you'll be like, why aren't I happy? Why isn't this enough? I just made a million dollars. Why do I feel miserable? It's because not knowing that the why is really looking for something that doesn't have as much to do with this win or that failure. It has to do with like where you're going to be at the end of this journey. And for many people, I mean, it's nice that you've written it out. Many people, they don't self-examine this until they get to a point where they're really miserable. Somebody helps them look through it or maybe until time has passed. Anyway, sorry, waxing philosophical. Point of the story is that I get driven a little nuts when I talk to 20 and 30-year-olds who are entrepreneurs and their whole attitude, rightly so, is so like, I'm going to F you so hard and I'm going to be a douchebag and I'm going to do this and that and that. And I'm like, just wait till life kicks you in the balls four or five times and your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or your wife leaves you and your kids hate you or your, your dog, you know, shits on your desktop. Even, even, your dog doesn't, even your dog doesn't love you. I'm just saying like, wait till that happens. <laughs> and then you'll remember this conversation maybe. And you'll think like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I could smooth out the journey a little with a little bit more perspective. So. Before I move it on to another panelist, Brian, what, why, do, why do you think you tried all these different things? Honestly. Well, what? I actually think kind of what Spencer touched on, actually thinking of like the drive itself. I think any entrepreneur, like um, there's like a drive that you just, you actually kind of enjoy all these little adventures. Like even if they're failures, like there's something that's just driving you to keep going. going. Otherwise, you would just get a job, sit in the cubicle, and do your eight to five thing. Like there's nothing stopping any of us from, you know, just doing that. Oh yes, um, there is. Uh, <laughs> um, well, but do, do you also, cause you know, you've, you talked about it in the article and um, you've talked about it in public and on this show when you previously come on about your illness, the serious illness that you, that you still deal with to some extent. Do you think that was the main factor of, um, for you to, to consistently go down this entrepreneur road, even though you still, you work with Kinster, um, you consistently, do you think your illness is part of that, um, that, that road path really? Um, I mean, that didn't happen until I was like 25 or 26. I was yeah diagnosed with, you know, ulcerative colitis after suddenly, you know, suddenly starting to feel pain in my stomach after never having experienced really any medical stuff in my life until then, and all of a sudden, you know, winding up in hospital beds, going to see doctors nonstop for years. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely one of my lowest points of my life because I didn't, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, you don't, you know, have a lot of time and then suddenly not to be able to do anything that you were used to. Um, it's just like, yeah, it's a low blow. Um, and then the, you know, the question mark of like, is this fixable at all? Because, you know, ulcerative colitis, is, it's not curable. There is no cure, just like with Crohn's um, or celiac disease. It's just something you're dealt with uh, and you have to deal with and figure out how to live with it. Um, and fortunately for me, I had to go through, you know, a year or two of figuring out that the doctors don't know much in this space yet and figuring out that like, hey, I can fix this myself or cope with it with diet and you know, little tricks and little things here. And so, you know, I've been 100% gluten-free for a couple of years now. That was the biggest thing that helped me. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's just finding things like that. That was definitely my biggest blow. Um, but I would also say, you know, being an entrepreneur working from home has been a lot easier because of that illness. I, I wouldn't want this illness and having to go into a workplace or, you know, it's also made, I don't travel a lot or like, um, it's limits my ability to go to like a lot of word camps. I, I just don't go to a lot of word camps because flying and going to places where I don't know exactly what I can eat. It's just, it's, it's not easy for me and I can get sick really easily if I eat something wrong, even gluten-free foods. There are lots that don't agree with me. So, you know, here in Scottsdale, Arizona, it's probably one of the best places to live if you're trying to eat gluten-free. And, you know, I have certain foods that I just eat all the time. And it's just because I have to trial and error of what my stomach will tolerate. But yeah. yeah I just thought, thanks for being so uh, um, upfront about all that. I was just, yeah. I think it was just an interesting conversation because sometimes your weaknesses drive you down a road um, and you don't, and you just do it for practical reasons, but um, the outcomes can be bad as well as really good in the end result. What do you reckon about the article, Chris? I thought it was really well written and um, I commend Brian on, on the, just sharing all that. And it, it shows to me a lot of skills that are in high demand these days. Number one is the ability to write. It's like a dying art. Number two, um, just some of the stuff Brian's into in terms of like early retirement, like finances, entrepreneurial skills, marketing skills, technology skills, and and really just the honest take is uh, it's just really refreshing. I too like when I'm watching YouTube or Facebook, the ads I'm getting served about all the business opportunities and how I just need to join affiliate programs and and everything's going to be great is like, it's just something <laughs> seriously wrong with our culture. I can only imagine someone who doesn't have the deep experience in this industry, like what what the, the delusions that this is causing in society and uh, kind of broken dreams and uh, just just unrealistic expectations in society. So I, we just need more content like this out there. Um, and I had a, I had a question for Brian, actually the um, I'm always fascinated by this. A lot of entrepreneurs, I suspect they do a combination or a lot of entrepreneurs I respect. They do a combination of their own. There's like three things. There's like this creative stuff. Then there's their entrepreneurial side projects. And then there's also going in and out of, jobs like Kinsta CMO, like how, why that balance? Like why that, why the mix? That's, That's one it, question. And I have a second question for you. Okay. Um, I would say some of the question of that is um, stability, I guess you could say. And some of those things while failing, I, I needed a paycheck. Like I won't lie. Like some of that, I needed a paycheck during some of those failures because I was failing um, or not making enough money at the time. Um, I'm at the point where now I, I, I think I figured out how to actually make good money on the internet. Whereas in back then, you know, making a hundred dollars in a day on the internet back then was a huge deal to me. You know, it's, it's a lot different now. So, um, um, but you got to start somewhere too. So you got to start, you know, from zero and then work your way up, I think. Um, but yeah, I think having stability is one of the main reasons. And also, Another reason is partially because I am into, my brother and I are huge into early retirement stuff and finances. Um, and so I'm at the point in my life where 
I'm grinding, I'm hustling night and day because I want to retire early. Like I'm, I'm going to retire early. I'm, I have my goals set. I'm going to hit my goals and um, then kind of, you know, do what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I'll probably end up just blogging for fun, to be honest, until, until I'm dead. <laughs> like that's, that's my plan and I will love every second of it. But right now, yeah, I'm working as literally as hard as I can. And some of that is, you know, having, you know, a good paycheck coming in plus doing the side hustle in the evenings. Like it's, it's kind of a good combo to earn a lot of money. So yeah. that's awesome. And then second question, just more related to the content of the, this article is a lot of entrepreneurs, they will tell a story like this, but they have to wait until they have a certain level of success that till they're comfortable to tell about like how hard it's been. Like, so you're 15 years in, was it, has it really taken 15 years to be comfortable or, or at what point did you start sharing publicly about how the struggle or, um, or have you always done that? Oh, yeah. I've kind of always done that. I actually, I feel like I've always been pretty honest on the internet. Um, yeah. And so I, I, you know, I am an affiliate marketer too. And, you know, I know how it goes. Like you write stuff to convert. That's, I mean, the sole purpose of being an affiliate marketer, but I've always tried to write things about only stuff I use. Um, and then all the stories I share, like, yeah, I mean, they're literally word for word what happened. Um, I'm not making anything up. And so I, um, I do actually feel like that has helped me though, because a lot of the readers of my blogs and on social, like I think it comes through in your writing and like people know that you're just a genuine person and they, it's, I think refreshing to find sites like that. And I think that's why people come back to read my site. Um, you know, there's, I get quite a few comments on my site, which is awesome. So I can engage with people. Um, but yeah, and I follow, you know, it's hard to find sites like that nowadays that are just genuine. Um, and um, I follow a couple people online that do the same approach and I just love reading their stuff because I know they're sharing exactly what they're going through at that moment in their lives, basically. All right. What do you reckon, um, Sally? Uh, <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> Brian has my heartfelt sympathy. I got sick at 24 and I've never gotten well. Uh, and that's why I can't have a, <clears throat> you know, can't have an eight to five uh, job. Uh, I became an entrepreneur, not due to ambition, but because I'm unemployable. And although I was very ambitious before uh, in my previous career, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is that, that this is actually how it works for everybody is, you know, you try some stuff and it blows up in your face and then, you know, you try another thing and it's successful and then maybe it's super successful, but somebody comes along and disrupts the industry and you've got to start over. And, and this is human existence. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, fantasies uh, put out there, this kind of like Disney movie version of uh, entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, it, it used to be those kinds of uh, rags to riches story, you know, young, young man works hard, makes good, becomes wealthy. It, you know, it's, it's kind of the same myth um, <clears throat> uh, that we have. And, and, you know, if you really expect things to work that way, you are going to be disappointed and, and you may give up. And when I was studying directing, my directing teacher said, you know, you should actually hope that you have a huge flop early on and, and like understand what that's like. And, uh, you know, and, and because it's going to be easier to deal with then, than you know, if you're a 
huge success and then somewhere in in the middle uh, the rug gets pulled out from under you uh, <clears throat> you know we have to be able to uh, uh, we have to be able to get past those things and to persist uh, and to adapt ourselves that's great on to the next story um the web we broke what what did you like about this one sally uh, let me bring that up but uh you know this was uh coming at about the same time as uh, sir tim berners lee's uh, kind of happy birthday internet uh, post so yes if you uh, uh, if you hadn't noticed uh, the world wide web turned 30 this year um and i remember vividly uh my first encounter with the world wide web uh via mosaic on, on a grayscale screen and and um not actually a dial-up line because i was part of the university system and and but uh <clears throat> you know that what um, Ethan Marcotte is talking about in this article is uh, accessibility and a massive uh, problem that we still have with accessibility. And I mean, in the, in the very beginning, but before I even knew it was a thing, the, the web was purely textual. There was a, a browser called Lynx. Uh, and uh, then, you know, it started to... Uh, started to become a more visual thing, which was a, a large part of why it attracted me. Uh, the, the, the thing I particularly highlighted was pages containing popular JavaScript frameworks were more likely to have accessibility errors than those that didn't use those frameworks. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a comment on a, a study from the uh, accessibility. Uh, and the, it's sort of like, whoa, um, <clears throat> And well, I, I think I'm no expert in that field, but I've come to that conclusion as well. Um, what do you? So, Spencer, do you think the accessibility movement that was really very was dominant, and it was kind of UK based? You know, I had some of the founders or some of the movers and shakers from the UK on the show. Um, as it died a death to some extent because of the JavaScript libraries and JavaScript dominance of front-end, you know, web design and that whole area. I'm going to use a metaphor of Cuba. Anybody? <laughs> Love your metaphors, do you? <laughs> I'm going to answer with a metaphor. That's how I work. In Cuba, after the embargo, they couldn't get any modern vehicles. So 2019, there are cars that are time machines back to 1950 and earlier that are still driving around. Those cars continue to operate because the owners had no choice but to keep them running forever. The world we live in, it's amazing that we can all actually do what we're doing now because there's no actual law that says you have to do things this way or that way to be on the internet or this browser or that browser or JavaScript or server side or whatever. It's amazing that we can even do anything at all. I think accessibility is vitally important. However, as we've seen, while people are busy working on their 1950s cars, the world moved on and pretty soon, hopefully we'll be all flying in hovercraft and those cars will still be in Cuba driving around. My point is, is that 
the web is so dynamically evolving. God help us all if we end up in hovercraft. Whatever. I'm saying that Uh that it, it should be fundamental that everybody should be able to access some things. But the problem is, while the good fight is going on over that 1950s car being accessible, the hovercrafts are being made and whether those people make them accessible or not is a different question than whether the people fighting over the old 1950s cars are going to make those accessible. I think that we have to accept with so many ideas and so many technologies. And again, as we talked about, I hope, knock on wood, in a year or two, that a lot of the web stuff that I'm doing on a browser will be coming through my eyeglasses or my hearing aid or in my brain implant or something. Because I don't know that necessarily typing and looking at a screen is the way that I need to get most of the stuff. Maybe I could talk to one of my girlfriends like Siri or Alexa. And if that's the case, then now we got to talk about accessibility issues with voice commands. You see what I mean? So I like the concept that he brings up here. But I also think that it's kind of like one of those nostalgias, like, don't you remember swinging on swings that were made out of metal in 1970 and landing on hard rocks and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, let's talk about the thing that's going on all forward, because looking back at things that are clearly broken is part of the discussion, but not the whole discussion. Yeah, I see where you're going from, uh, uh, but I don't fully jump on board. That's fine. I love that. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Brian, um, it's interesting. Uh, with Kinster, has the, you know, with a very heavily, you know, with Gutenberg, we're using the JavaScript library, web pages that are highly using a lot of JavaScript. Are, are they noticeably slower than um, well-written, um, accessible CSS, HTML sites? What do you think, Brian? I, I think I think it's mainly the developers that cause performance problems because they're piecing together different frameworks or different technologies sometimes. Um, the thing that I thought with this article was interesting about accessibility was uh, my brother and I, who like we build and sell two WordPress premium plugins. And the thing I immediately thought was this is because we ran into an issue with this ourselves. And... Uh, had to shift things quickly and realize like, oh, we screwed this up. And yes, we excluded some people. Um, was about, you know, four or five months into launching one of our first plugins, um, we got an email from a guy that used a screen reader and suddenly he couldn't use our plugin. And after looking at our plugin, we were like, wow, yeah, we literally excluded anyone that's using a screen reader. Like the way we built our setting toggles and stuff, we just excluded a whole group of people, not on purpose, just completely like we didn't think about it at all. Um, and so we actually, you know, went back and my brother is really the, the coder, but, um, you know, recoded it so that um, you can use it with a screen reader, that the toggles work slightly differently so that everybody can use it. Um, but I think it's important that we don't try to exclude these people because um, there are a lot of people with screen readers too. Um, I know I've personally known some people with uh, like carpal tunnel RSI stuff too, a lot. And, you know, a lot of those people um, use screen readers too. Um, And so it's not just people that with visibility um, issues and stuff. Um, So I, I actually think accessibility is actually fairly important. Um, The problem is it's usually up to 
the developers because like Spencer was mentioning, the, the internet's not really regulated. It's like the wild, wild west. So there's nothing that tells a developer you have to make this user accessible. I mean, there are... Yes, uh, yeah, in education and, and government, there is. And, and there is, yeah, that's what I was going to... Yeah, actually, there are certain places where you have to, but for the most part, you know, like the WordPress repository, there's... <laughs> it's, half those are probably accessible, half of those probably aren't. Like, and... Um, I personally know clients at Kinsta and clients that use our plugins that use screen readers. And so, you know, these people need these types of things built into the products to actually use them at all. So it's, I, accessibility is something, yeah, I, I think actually we've dropped the ball on a little bit. And I think this guy went a little overboard in this article though. I, but um, I think it's just something to keep in mind as we develop things going forward. So Chris, you're, you know, you've got a plugin you know, you're building a community. It's in the learning space uh, with you and your team. How how much conversation do you have about your plugin being accessible? We're not perfect, but it is a priority for us. And as an example, even just yesterday, um, one of our users um, is in a has mobility issues, and her she actually has a platform about four different venues to make their, or like education for like to make festivals more accessible, to make certain kind of businesses more accessible. She has courses about that and she's using our LMS to teach that stuff. And I was talking to her yesterday and I'm just working with her as a user, as an accessibility expert to make sure that I understand the needs of the community. And we're going to be doing a webinar to just educate about accessibility issues. Because I think at first, it is ultimately up to the developers I agree with that point, but um, there's also a lack of education and awareness around the issue that needs to really amp up first before I think we get more major adoption and more global standards. Great, Tio. I think we're going to wrap it up. I think we're just going to go into our tips of the week. Any kind of article, product, plug-in, anything that's come on our radar that we found interesting. And... Um, I'm going to talk about Vue Player. Um, Vue Player, um, I was kind of tuned into it by Adam from WP Crafter. Um, and it, I've been using it a bit more. I've got a great deal on it and I've been using it. I've also got a Vimeo account and um, it offers, um, I think what it offers is in between Vimeo and Vizia. Um, it offers a middle ground at a reasonable price. Um, so if you're looking to host a load of videos and you're looking for something that's got more functionality than a basic Vimeo um, um, package, but you don't want to cough up the kind of money you this year want, um, look at View Player. Um, Sally, have you got any um, tip trick or something you want to share with the viewers and listeners? Uh, yes, my, my, uh, my new toy is Draftium, uh, which is a, a tool for uh, mock-ups and uh, <clears throat> wireframing, which I heard about on a Slack channel yesterday from somebody who had explained that she had a client that preferred the mock-up to the actual <laughs> Photoshop cup. And I'm like, so was this like a, a high fidelity or a low fidelity mock-up? And she said, oh, it was Draftium, and I hadn't heard of that. 
And, and so, you know, I mean, I keep one of these things is I try not to chase the shiny too much, but I, I do tend to do it with mock-up tools. It's like, do I like this better? Do I like that better? Is it quicker? Oh, screw it. I'm just going to build the prototype in WordPress. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm looking at it now and it seems like something where I might be able to, to talk to clients to get them to sort of point me at, oh, this, I, I, I want sort of this type of layout on my homepage or, or, you know, to include those type of elements and, and comment. That's great. Um, Chris, got anything? Yeah, I just wanted to highlight a free tool. I think they have a paid version, but I'm just using the free version of vidIQ. And I've been doing more and more with YouTube and just trying to be more data-driven and kind of understand the platform more. And it does a great job of kind of just exposing a lot of data and search volumes for various keyword phrases and what tags people are using in their videos and things like that, which I think just contributes. If you do do video marketing, especially on YouTube, or just kind of want to understand the landscape and search volume of certain phrases, vidIQ is a great tool. Is Spencer got anything? I used vidIQ before and it was great. I don't know how it's been affected by the Google's limiting your access to keyword data, but it was really good for finding content and so forth. So good competitive tool. Uh, mine is Enable Media Replace. It's a free plugin for WordPress. Essentially, it solves the annoying problem for those who have, let's say, if you're using the media library, particularly for PDF downloads or for other content you're delivering to consumers or customers, if you have that updated frequently, like a zip file bundle, this allows you to seamlessly replace it with the latest version without changing the link or the naming convention. Great for a membership site where the deliverable is a bundle and you don't want to have to oh, each time manually do it. Now somebody could just dump it into the place and replace it without it, you know, giving it a, a hyphen number one, hyphen number two, hyphen number three or something. Oh, yes, and panelists, please put those in the Slack channel so I can put them in the notes. I don't know if you've got anything, Brian, or you want to plug your own plugins. What do you want to do? Or you've got something else you want to mention? Uh, I was just going to mention the Squish online. It's a web tool from that Google launched a couple months ago. It's just an image compression thing, but um, I think we all probably use image compression plugins. I do too. But I found that in my workflow, there are some times where you already know because of how often you use it that you have a large image and you know the image plugin compression plugin is not going to get it down to what it should be. And so the Squish app I've been using, actually, I use it almost probably on a daily basis now where right. I right, have yeah. a big tool. It'll get it down to like really, really small. They did an awesome job on the compression ratio stuff. And so I use it for like very important images and I, that I'm working on. Um, so it's a, it's a good like, complement to your image compression plugin, I, I found. Yeah, I use it. It's fantastic, isn't it? All right. Oh, I think we had a great chat. Um, Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to, Spencer? Great. You guys, uh, you can reach me at wplaunchify.com or on YouTube at wplaunchify. Uh, anybody who is building some kind of a membership site with marketing automation on WordPress, it's a free call. Let's talk about what you're up to. That's great. Brian, do you, uh, what's the best website? And do you want to plug your own plugins? Please go ahead. How, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Um, yeah, so, I mean, you can find um, Keensta, you know, Keensta.com, um, or you can find me on Twitter. I literally live on Twitter, um, Brian Lee Jackson. Um, or if, you want, if you're interested in our plugins, we have a performance plugin and a, a marketing coupon plugin. 
you can just find them uh, on forgemedia.io. That's our kind of company site with the plugin list on there. So. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Chris, how people find out more about you and what you're up to? If you're a course creator and use WordPress, you can find our plugin at lifterlms.com. We also have a podcast for course creators called LMSCast. That's great. And Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, you can find me at wpfangirl.com. I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. And uh, if you can spell my name, you will find me. I am unique in Google. That's great, folks. And I think it's been a great show. We'll see you next week where we'll be discussing the latest WordPress news stories and the internet in general. And we'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.